So we've only been doing two services for, this will be our third week now. We used to do them many years ago. Um, but I so enjoyed this passage of scripture this morning. And part of me wishes, I wish we could have just videotaped it and played. <laughs> I just felt like the Lord just brought a clarity um, it just around the grace of God. Do you guys understand that we as Christians, it is all about him and what he has done. Any standing we have, it's because of him. It's his grace. And that's what we have laid before us this morning as we wrap up uh, Romans chapter 5. Paul just lays this out beautifully uh, for you and I as Christians. Um, just, you know, all that he, the Lord, has done and has for us. Um, and what we can do, guys, is we can humble ourselves. You guys know that's the only thing that we can really do this morning. Because I've read in the scriptures, you may have read that too, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And there's times when I come to church, there's people who leave just kind of like, well, that was a waste of time. I, I didn't get a whole lot out of, out of that message today. And then there's others that heard the exact same message who are just leaving overflowing, just like, man, <laughs> my life is forever changed. God radically spoke, <laughs> you know, touched my heart. In God's promise, if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. So it's kind of like on us individually. Are we willing to humble ourselves before him today and really ask, Lord, I, I need you. <laughs> I need a fresh word. I, I need your, your spirit to change me. Because <laughs> I don't know about you guys, I, I need God's grace. I, I need to hear from him on a regular basis. And that's one of the graces that we have in being able to do church together. Uh, one of the big bummers I see in the church, um, and I read this this last week, um, two-thirds of believers don't think they need to go to church. Two-thirds of us don't think the church is necessary. I read the scriptures in the church is a grace. Like God has given the local church as a grace to build us up, to grow us up, to equip us. And there's a, there's a place that God's given for a pastoral voice locally in a church. That is also a grace. And it just breaks my heart when I read this article saying that most Christians don't even think church is essential anymore. What's going on? Do we not believe what God says about the church and how he's chosen to use the local church for his purposes, for his mission? And today we have opportunity as we gather together to grow, to mature, to get equipped. So we see that God has ordained the church community, and it's for us to grow in, guys. Um, before we jump into this passage, I want to share a story with you uh, that really broke my heart, true story. Um, <clears throat> God got in this accident and um, disabled as a result of it. And as a result of the disability, uh, the job loss, the loss of a home, the elders of a church swinging by and telling this couple that they're no longer allowed to come to church because they are behind on their giving and their tithing. That breaks my heart. I wouldn't call that necessarily a church of God. But those are the type of things that happen. 
And I wonder why two-thirds of people don't think they need to go to church. And we have excuses. This couple doesn't want to go to church anymore. Kind of get it, but at the same time, that's not really the way or the purpose of the church. When we read what God says about his church and how we're to function, I think about the guy who's not allowed to take communion at the church he goes to because he got divorced 20 years ago. You can't have communion with your brothers and sisters because that's a sin, that's wrong. And it was years later that he came to faith in Christ. You guys, it reminds me of the man who was excommunicated and forbidden entry into church. He cried out, they won't let me in, Lord, because I'm a sinner. What are you complaining about, said God? They won't let me in either. You see, often hobbling through our church doors on a Sunday morning comes grace on crutches. Sinners still unable to throw away their false supports and to stand upright in the freedom that we have as children of God. Yet their mere presence in the church on Sunday morning is a flickering candle representing a desire to maintain contact with God. So to douse the flame is to plunge them into a world of spiritual darkness. And guys, I hope that when you come to Freedom Fellowship, that you can leave that self-pride at home and admit that you failed. None of us have it all together, guys. Well, the sinner might say, I don't want to go to church either. Sad that Christians don't want to go to church. But a lot of times the unbelieving world looks at us church goers as those who have it all together. Look around real quick. We're just a bunch of normal people who are sinners. Okay? We're nothing special. We don't have it all together. And for a sinner ever to feel like I can't go because they are too good, man, what lies have we bought into, guys? You see, we don't need to put on spiritual cosmetics to make ourselves presentable to him god says come as you are god not only loves me as i am but he knows me as i am so let's pray heavenly father we would uh just please surround us this morning as we jump into this passage of scripture here in romans 5 lord that you would uh just Allow each and every person here, all those who are watching online, just to have a sense of your strong, great love for them. God, we know that your word uh, is alive. I pray that it would become alive to us in ways we've never experienced before this morning as we dive in now. God, we thank you, Father, that we're your kids. We thank you that you're with us every single step of the way. God, we thank you for the gift of this church, the gift of this fellowship. We thank you for this time you've given us this morning to be in your holy word. God, bless it for your glory. We ask in your name. Amen. Now, if Jesus would come over tonight for dinner, okay, um, he sat down at the table with you, and he knows everything about you, who you are, what you're not, total comprehension of your entire life story and every skeleton that you have hidden in the closet. 
If he had laid out your real state of your present discipleship with the hidden agenda, the mixed motives, and the dark desires that are buried in our psyche, would you feel his acceptance and forgiveness? Yes, you would. That's our Jesus, guys. He loves you as you are. I want to read to you guys uh, just the intro from the Ragamuffin Gospel. How many of you guys have read this book? It's an oldie, but it is a goodie, okay? Um, the intro goes like this. The Ragamuffin Gospel was written with a specific reading audience in mind. This book is not for the super spiritual. It's not for the muscular Christians who have made John Wayne and not Jesus their hero. It is not for academics who would imprison Jesus into ivory towers of exegesis. It's not for the noisy, feel-good folks who manipulate Christianity into a naked appeal to emotion. It is not for the hooded mystics who want magic in their religion. It's not for the Alleluia Christians who live only on mountaintops and have never visited the Valley of Desolation. It's not for the fearless and the tearless. It is not for the red-hot zealots who boast in rich young ruler of the Gospels, all these things, all these commandments I have kept from my youth. It is not for the complacent who hoist over their shoulders a tote bag of honors and diplomas and good works, actually believing that they have made it. And it's not for legalists who would rather surrender control to their souls to rule than to run the risk of living in union with Jesus. If anyone is still reading along, the Ragamuffin Gospel was written for the bed-draggled, beat up, burnt out. It is for those sorely burdened who are still shifting the heavy suitcase from one hand to another. It's for the wobbly, weak need who know they don't have it all together and are too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. It is for the inconsistent, unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. It is for the poor, weak, sinful men and women with hereditary faults and limited talents. It is for earthen vessels who shuffle along on feet of clay. It is for the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are grave disappointment to God. It is for smart people who know that they are stupid and honest disciples who admit that they are scalawags. The Ragamuffin Gospel is a book I wrote for myself and anyone who has grown weary and discouraged along the way. Brennan Manning. So what is Christianity to you? I mean, isn't that the most important thing? We call ourselves Christians. But Christianity means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does it mean to you? Is it do-it-yourself spirituality? Is your emphasis on what you do rather than what God 
is doing? Are you a self-made man or woman? You see, if you're not ready to accept true biblical Christianity, we can't until we accept our inadequacies and our insufficiencies. Until your security is shattered and your bootstraps are cut. Until you realize you cannot add even a single inch to your spiritual stature. Often folks' approach to the Christian life is absurd as an enthusiastic young man who had just received his plumber's license and was taken to Niagara Falls, looked at it for a minute, and then said, I can fix that. Jesus invented, or sorry, he invited sinners. This is one thing I love about Jesus. It wasn't the self-righteous that he invited to the table. It was sinners. Last night with the family, we started watching The Chosen again. And I cried again. We just watched a couple episodes. But every time when Jesus first shows up, what is he doing? He's, he's accepting. He's loving on someone who has lost all hope, who has given up completely, who feels they've sinned too much. There's nothing left. And Jesus shows up. And that's one thing that I love in that show is just seeing the love that Jesus has towards all sinners. I wasn't going to share this. I'm going to share this. Let's open up to John 15 real quick. Do you guys ever get arrested by a scripture? We have our daily devotions. We're in his word, right? We hear preaching and sermons and we get to hear a plethora of wonderful scriptures but have you ever been arrested by a scripture where you just can't get by it any longer you're just like this is it this is for me this is this is now this is this is reality i need to own this i need to live in this in john 15 we're going to look at just verse 9 because this is the one that has arrested me in recent weeks and I can't move beyond this. And if you would ask me right now, like what is one scripture in all the Bible that would sum up what Christianity is all about, I would share with you right now John 15 verse 9. It says this, As the Father loved me, this is Jesus speaking, as the Father, Heavenly Father has loved me, the Son, I also have loved you, Abide in my love. That's what he wants of us, brother and sister. To abide in the love of Christ. And when we do that, doesn't everything just seem to work out the way it's supposed to? Don't we walk in ways that just seem to honor him? Aren't we able to love our neighbors as ourselves? Often we want to do in Christianity. But Christianity is being. And when we are being loved by our Heavenly Father, things just work out the way they're supposed to. When we serve, it's no longer a burden. 
when we come into conflict with others in those relationships, we're able to work through and not be offended. Just to be loved by God. So what is Christianity to you? I don't know if I can be loved by God, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've been given into temptation lately. It's not about you. Abide in the love of Christ. He loves you. And when you begin to abide, things begin to change. I want to share a scripture with you guys. In the Gospel of Matthew, we find in chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love the Greek for the word call here. It's kolion. And it has a sense of inviting an honored guest. So when this is spoken by Jesus. This is the purpose I have come. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, your creator God. I have come. <laughs> I'm on mission here. I'm going to bear witness to the truth. I'm going to die for the sins of the, the world. And I'm here. And I'm calling in a way of honor. <laughs> you sinful people. That's who I'm calling. And aren't you guys glad that we've all received the call? Because we're all sinful. Even the best of you in this room, I don't know which one of you it is, whoever's the best, you're still a sinner. Sorry to bust your bubble, but that's the reality. We are all sinners, and this is who Jesus has come to call. Morton Kelsey said, The church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. I love that. So can we get honest for a moment? Because as we consider Christianity and our lives as Christians, can we admit that there's a bundle of paradoxes? You guys know what I'm talking about? I believe and yet I doubt. Is anyone else there with me? Because I believe genuine faith, there has to be doubt. Otherwise, it's not faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. If I can see it, of course I'm going to believe it. But aren't there so many things that the scriptures lay out, the mysteries of God, that we receive those things by faith? Wow, this is what you say. I know it's true. Okay, I can't see it physically, but I know it's true. I'm going to believe, but I still have my doubts. So last week I talked with a brother he really is a brother in the Lord, and he questions his salvation. Is my faith real? Because I have doubts. Bro, it's okay, because if you didn't have doubts, faith couldn't be real. Do you guys get that? It's a weird paradox that we have to work through as Christians. Also, I hope and I get discouraged. Any of you guys there with me? We have hope. We looked at that last time in Romans 5. We glory in tribulations because ultimately it's going to produce hope. We have hope, but yet we get discouraged, don't we? I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling bad. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. There's all these weird paradoxes that we have. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. 
Guys, the good news of the gospel, it cries grace. It's all about his grace. You see, we are equally privileged, but not unentitled beggars, or but unentitled beggars at the door of God's mercy. You see, Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and the weak need who know that they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. Why do some get saved and others don't get saved? God resists the proud. But those who humble themselves before their creator cry out for saving, and he is mighty to save. You guys remember in chapter 4, we had Paul, he went all the way back in history okay, to Father Abraham. And then we considered David in explaining how God uh, justifies sinners. Now he goes all the way back to Adam. Okay, Now Paul, he was an apostle, right? He was a great Jewish man. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, we're told in the scriptures. And yet God called him to do ministry where? To the Gentile world. I want you to go to speak to all peoples, not just my chosen people, the Hebrew people. And Paul this morning is writing a letter to the Romans, a Gentile group of believers. And he's speaking, hey, we're going to go back in history again and we're going to go back to Adam because all of us have great, great Adam as a grandpa. Like we're all related. We are all in the same boat with him. So how would you like the title, the sinful, or the sinful father of all people? That, that's Adam's title. Do you guys know that? And then we have the contrast with Jesus, the sinless savior of all people. And that's what we're going to see this morning is the contrast laid out between the two. And I love how Paul did this. So let's take a look in Romans 5. Here, Paul, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. We're going to see him go from Adam to Moses. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So you guys see there in verse 12, that death came through one man. One man's sin death entered and it spread like the man who was on a ship and he went down into the berth and he started cutting a hole uh, in the side of the ship and then he was yelled at to stop it what does it matter to you he said the hole i've made is under my own berth you see guys adam affected all by cutting a hole in the side of life's ship and in that, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinking. Sin entered the world, we're told, and thus death spread to all men. 
entered. That means that sin went in the world's front door here by means of Adam's sin and it spread literally. It passed or went through or it spread through. Death penetrated the entire human race. Every single human being. Noah probably understood this better than anybody else. Can you guys picture him looking out from his boat and seeing all the dead carcasses, the result of sin floating? How about Abraham when he was looking at the ashes of Sodom and Gomorrah? Or maybe Moses when he watched the earth open up and swallow Korah and Dathan and Abraham. You see, Adam sinned. (laughs) And as a result of that, death, the curse, entered the world. Now, Paul in verse 15 is now going to make a contrast between Adam and Jesus. You guys know that the scriptures teach us of Jesus being the second Adam. So here's some cool theology coming around this idea and these contrasts. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's sin or offense many died, much more the grace of God in the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And then verse 18 says, Therefore... As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, a righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Now there are five parallels that Paul just laid out for you and I. Did you catch them? Three of them are contrasts, and two of them are comparisons. In verse 15, look, we have Adam's trespass versus Jesus's grace, right? The gift of God's grace in Jesus. And then verse 16, we have this contrast between Adam bringing condemnation and then Jesus bringing justification. And then verse 17, we have Adam's death in Jesus' life. In the two comparisons, we have Adam's condemnation versus Jesus' acquittal, and then Adam's obedience versus, uh, or sorry, Adam's disobedience versus Jesus' obedience. So that brings us to verses 20 and 21, where we see sin and grace here. And I want us to get this. Moreover, it says in verse 20, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, 
Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the law makes wrongdoing all the worse. That's what the law has done for you and I. Some people like the law. We're told in the scriptures, law brings death. You see, it was never intended. The law wasn't given to provide salvation. And if you're hoping that, hey, if you just keep the rules, the regulations, all the laws that have been laid out, if you're good enough, you're going to make it into heaven, you're not going to get there, guys. The law can't save anybody. I love salvation. I love God's amazing grace. I am glad I have eternal life. I want you guys to have eternal life. I think you guys are here because you get that. You know Jesus. You want other people to know Jesus. I love talking to people about Jesus. And one of the ways I do that is by asking a simple question. Isn't it hard to get into a spiritual conversation once in a while with other people? But asking the simple question to somebody, hey, do you know if you're going to heaven? Whoosh, doors open. Spiritual conversation just started. Do you know if you're going to heaven? The sad thing is, guys, I don't hear many people say, yeah. Jesus is my Savior. He died on the cross for my sins. His grace has abounded towards me. And I've received that by faith. Most people, when I ask them, do you know if you're going to heaven? Yeah. How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I got confirmed when I was in the eighth grade. I got baptized. I'm a member of this church. My heart breaks. Where is that in the Bible? It's not how salvation works, guys. It's not by doing the law. Any of you guys have a walking stick? Yeah. You want, you want a nice straight walking stick, right? I've had a couple that kind of, you know, bow it a little bit, and if it's backwards, you're clipping your knee with it, you know? You want a pretty straight stick. But that walking stick looks pretty crooked when you put it up to a perfectly straight piece of wood, doesn't it? And that's what the law does for you and I. Once we have the law, whoa, things are a little crooked here. I'm going to share something with you guys so you can pray for me. You guys know that your pastor doesn't have it all together. And I'm sharing this not to lay a trip on any of you guys but I want you just to see how the law works. You guys remember the Apostle Paul was a pretty righteous dude. As a religious man, he was doing what was needed. And he would not have known covetousness unless it was for the law. Okay, Some of you guys know me and you know I love to shop. I love clearance deals. I want to be a good steward with the money God's given us. Almost everything we have is clearance. It's awesome. I love, sh I love getting the deal. Oh! <gasps> That's a great price. Is it still available? Do they have the right size? I've been convicted lately of shopping being covetousness in my heart. And that's not a thing I'm tripping on you. It's something that God's just been speaking to me. It's not, hey, I really need that, but hey, that's a great deal and I want it. That's covetousness. That's the law. And for me personally, God's showing, hey, you got a little addiction here to shopping. You get a little too excited here. 
he's the one to fulfill and to satisfy that longing. I should be addicted to him. Why am I giving myself to shopping in that way? And I've been convicted about that. So I've been off Brad's deals and online shopping, and I'm just starting to steer clear. And to be honest with you guys, I see some of those flesh issues God working out in my life. It might be a little thing. You guys might be like, well, that's not a big deal. It's just something that God's recently convicted me of. And I could just blow it off and say, well, that's not a big deal. We all need to shop. We all need things. But for me, that's just something God's personally been asking me to work on. And I see him working it out. And I would encourage you guys, when the Lord does speak and does convict, okay, that you do something with it. But how I deal and address covetousness, that isn't going to be the thing that's going to save me. You guys understand? Christ has already saved me. And because he saved me, he's going to sanctify me. Okay? And he will do that by his spirit. And often, guys, when we read the scripture, we do read of the laws. They're not there to save us. Okay? They're there to show us what's right. And what right? what is right is Jesus. <laughs> Stuff isn't going to satisfy me. Jesus is going to satisfy me. I need him. I need his grace. So God's law was never given so that people could see, or I mean it was given so we can just see how sinful we are. But here we're seeing, guys, sin increased, right? It increased. But where sin increased, we're told there's grace. Are you guys catching what Paul's laying down here? It super abounded. It surpassed by far. It exceeded immeasurably. It overflowed beyond. That's the language Paul is using here. There is this grace. So God lavished his grace upon us beyond all measure. Do you guys get that? I so loved this morning before I came to church, my wife prayed over me. And she prayed, I think it was 2 Corinthians 9, but just how the grace of God abounds and how it will satisfy us. Do you guys understand that? Okay? It will suffice. Whatever we're going through in this life, the grace of God is going to be sufficient. Do you guys remember the game Monopoly? Any of you guys play that at home with your family? Yeah. You guys got cheater rules? I was, I was taught, like, if you landed on go, you got 500 bucks, right? So a lot of us have played Monopoly. You guys remember this card, okay? Um, if you landed on chance, you know, you might pick up the card that read, hey, you need to return to go and collect $200. So the irony of this directive is, in one respect, it's a penalty. You're, you're penalized, but... You also, on the other hand, you get rewarded, right? You get 200 bucks. So go back, start over, but start over even richer. Guys, salvation's the same, isn't it? Go back, start over, right? You come to Christ, clean slate. <laughs> Old things, they pass away. Behold, all things become new, Okay? You need to move forward in a new direction, new life. Start over, but you start over richer. Richer. 
in peace with your maker, richer, because now you have access to God, richer in his love, richer in his grace, richer in mercy, richer in hope. That's the good news, guys. We get to start over richer. Again, verse 20. It tells us that where the sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Are you guys getting this? Because this is beautiful. (laughs) What Paul's laying down here, this is essential. I want to share with you guys from a paraphrased Bible. It says, sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressiveness or aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. I like that. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how sinful I am. You don't know what temptations I give into. Our text might freely be translated this way. Where sin reached the highest watermark, (laughs) grace completely flooded the world. That's the language that's being used here, guys. The grace of God can't even be compared to how bad we've blown it, guys. It abounds. Some words are easy to convey a multitude of ideas. I say the word world in our minds run globe. I see continents. I see islands. I see seas. I see cities and villages. Say the word Adam and our minds run to think of Hiroshima or electrons, protons, neutrons, and other particles whirling around in order. But the word grace It carries us beyond this universe into the heart of God. Don't take grace for granted. It is amazing. You see, as a scientist uses uh, cyclotron and betatron to penetrate the heart of those invisible parts of the atom, the word grace, guys, penetrates the infinite heart of our creator. By no other way can a creature come to the creator than by the grace of God. And by no other means can a sinner stand before before a holy God than by his grace. Also, God never withholds grace because of sin. Never. The fundamental idea here in our text is that no damn erected by sin can stop the flow of God's grace. You see the great dams of the world, we have Aswan in Egypt, the Hoover, Shasta, are used to arrest the flow of a river to divert the flow from the normal course. But nothing can arrest and divert the flow of God's grace. Nothing. But again, pastor, I'm a really bad sinner. Nothing. You don't know what I've done, how bad it was. Nothing. 
I've counseled over a thousand men and women who've been incarcerated because they got caught in their sin. And the one thing going into those meetings, those one-on-ones, I didn't always know what they were dealing with. But the one thing I did know is the grace of God was bigger than anything that they had done. No matter who I met with, no matter what they had done, I know that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for them. And that God could set them free. So I had great confidence in counseling some really hard things. You see, guys, Adam had not gone very far from that scene of rebellion before the grace of God found him. Adam, where are you? You see, God pursued him in the obscurity of the grove where he was hiding. So if God had struck this guilty sinner and banished him to outer darkness forever, such action would have indicated that God worked by trial and error. And that was just one of his big errors. But such was not the case, guys. Of course, God knew that it was going to happen, yet not responsible for Adam's sin, but he knew it would occur, and he would use it as a backdrop against this beautiful display of the wonders of his grace. You see, God did not withhold his grace because of Adam's sin. Instead, he made great promises of grace announcing that there would be a Messiah who would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, the destroyer of the destroyer, and bring man back into fellowship with himself. This is the beautiful gospel of grace, guys. In matter of fact, the first blood that was ever shed on the planet was shed by who? God himself when he made the coverings for Adam and Eve because of their sin, grace. So grace was not withheld because of sin. Grace was given in spite of sin. Again, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't you love that, guys? Grace is reigning. Is it really? Yes, it is. The Bible says so, and I believe it, guys. Two queens. Sin and grace. Reigning. So there's a struggle between the two queens. Sin reigning. A handful of you guys got to go to Israel with me last year. And we stood there. Um... 1,391 feet below sea level, the Dead Sea, the lowest place upon planet Earth. And then you could be on the highest elevation that we have upon this planet. What's that, guys? Mount Everest, right? 29,035 feet or whatever it is. We could both be there, and we could both jump at the same time. Me at the lowest point, you at the highest point, And neither of us are going to be able to reach the righteousness of God. You understand? 
None of us can get there. Yet, we need to remember, guys, that both of us, <laughs> our own righteousness, what God commands, we can't do it. But we need to remember the queen's reign, as it were, is a reign in a cemetery. It is a subject uh, subjected to those who are dead. But our God is a God who demands everything and stops at nothing. That's our God. That's the God of the Bible. And just look to the cross. Consider the cross. God who demanded everything stopped at nothing for you. For you. That's amazing grace. That's the God of the Bible. That is truth. You see, grace reigning. Both queens, okay, they're exercising dominion. Both stand face to face. Each recognize each other as an enemy. Okay, there's a constant struggle between them. Not only the wide field of the world, but the narrow crevices of each and every one of our hearts. And that's why we entrust our hearts <laughs> to our gracious Heavenly Father because He knows best. And when we commit to Him, that's what we're going to find. When we turn to Him, we're going to find a God who is full of of grace. Only thing we can do is humbly repent. We turn to Him. I want to close our time with partaking of communion because I love coming to the Lord's table because that's where we're actually exhorted to examine ourselves when we do so. And as I consider all that the Lord's done for us, his life, his death, that's grace. You guys understand that? That's grace. Nothing we've done, nothing we could do. Oh yeah, you could be crucified on a cross, but your blood ain't going to forgive nobody's. Okay? He was the perfect sinless lamb of God who takes away our sin. That's a grace. That just covers our sin like the blood of bulls and goats. His blood takes it away. I would so love for somebody to read for us from Luke 19. Can I get a volunteer? Luke 15, verses 5 to 7. And could I have a couple guys begin to pass out the communion? I know we have some visitors here. The only thing we ask when we partake of communion together is that you have personally repented and have turned to Jesus Christ and have put your faith in him, in him alone. Um, Sam has come up to read for us out of Luke 19, verses 5, 6, and 7. And it's... Mm -hmm. Zacchaeus and Jesus.
Did you find it's five through seven? Yep. Okay. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Thanks, brother. Yeah, man. I love that story. I don't know if you guys feel like Zacchaeus. He was a notorious sinner. And Jesus went to him, found him. Hey, you. <laughs> We're going to hang out. Go into your house, buddy. And Sam read there, the people were displeased. Jesus, holy man, what are you doing? Hanging out with such a sinner. And they grumbled, we're told. You see, every communion, <laughs> um, many that don't understand grace are still going to say the same. You're a sinner. <laughs> you don't belong. We can't commune together. We can't have fellowship. You're not allowed to. Man, if you've put your faith in Christ, your standing, your righteousness are now in him. It's not about you. It is all about Jesus. And that is the amazing grace. That is the amazing gift. Jesus invited sinners. Before I talked about paradoxes, I love and I hate. I hate evil. I see how destructive it is. But God has called us to love. Evil's not right. We need to stand up for what is right. We need to speak against what is evil. But we don't have to be mean. I don't know about you guys. I want to be like Jesus. I want to love rightly. I want to speak rightly. I want to be characterized like Jesus. And I will tell you this. I cannot do that unless I am loved by him. Unless I abide in his love. Unless I am receiving his grace. And I'm walking in that grace, that his grace is abounding towards me. Because when it is, guys, I'm going to be able to do that towards others. I want to be able to hang with sinners in such a way that they know that they are loved by God. That they would be able to receive the love of God. And loving people in truth isn't always easy. 
speaking the truth. I don't like conflict. I don't like to confront people. But we love people because he's loved us. And because he's loved us, we know that love and we want to share that love with others. And when we come to the Lord's table together, we're reminded of his love and his grace. And it's not just about us. I know we in the church are very individualistic. We are all about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which each and every one of us need to have. But it's not all about you. It's all about him and his mission is to come to seek and to save the lost. That's our God. And we get to share in that. And that's one thing I'm reminded of because when we come to the Lord's table, what are we instructed to do? You remember my life and my death and you keep doing this until I come again. And if life, if we're to remember his life, his death, and that he is returning to God again, that's about this entire world, guys. It has implications for us personally, but it has implications upon every person, whoever was, whoever is right now, and whoever will be. And we get to go, and we get to love this world in the name of Jesus. I'm pretty excited about that. But I know to do it in a Christ-like manner, there's things hiding in the crevices of this heart that only he knows about because I'm good at fooling myself. You guys know that the heart is deceitful and it's wicked above all things. But because our God is good and he's so gracious and it abounds to us, he's gonna show us stuff that needs to change. And are we humble enough to open up our hearts before him and say, Lord, look, <laughs> please find if there's any wicked way in me. Show me, please. Help me examine ourselves. So this might be uncomfortable, but I just want to take a minute or two for you guys just to be still before God right now. And before we partake together of the bread and the cup, I just want you to prayerfully go before your heavenly father and ask him to personally examine you. What's there? What's going on? Are you abiding in his love? Are you by faith receiving his grace? There's one last scripture I want to share with you guys before we dismiss this morning. <clears throat> I want you to turn all the way back to the last page of the Bible. Revelation 22. Can I get a show of hands? How many guys think times are changing? Good, I'm not the only one. But the most important things are not changing. God's love for you hasn't changed. Jesus interceding for you has not changed. The Holy Spirit's power that is available to you and I, that hasn't changed. We get to walk with our God. You draw near to me, I will draw near to you. That is a promise. We can do that. That has not changed. You guys know that the word of God is still alive and powerful? You guys know that this can actually 
go in and examine what we're thinking, divide the intents of our heart. That's why it's good to be in his word. He's done that in my heart and mind this morning. He's faithful to that. You guys know what else hasn't changed? God's plan to expose darkness, the wickedness of evil in the world. Do you guys know that his plan to return for his bride hasn't changed? He's really coming back. He came the first time just like he said he was gonna. And guaranteed, guys, he's coming again. The full redemption of our stories are gonna be told and finished. So, may you guys walk, may we walk in unchanging love and faithfulness of our God today, this week. Keep your eyes on him, guys. Refuse to let the world's noise distract you. Stay focused. Stay on mission. We're here for a reason, guys. We're on mission. And enjoy Jesus. Enjoy him. That is part of that grace that abounds towards you and I. We get to enjoy. You guys know that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And you will not have that joy and the strength needed if you're not enjoying him. Enjoy him. He is right there. And may he strengthen us all as we go. And I want to close with Revelation 22. Let's take a look at verse 12 and 13. Look, I am coming quickly, bringing my reward with me to pay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I get excited about that, guys. It's going to happen, and it might happen sooner than we're thinking. But all I know today, God loves you. His grace abounds towards you. Abide in his love, in his grace. And just watch what God will do. Because he does have good in view. Clean slate. Start over. Even richer. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you so much for your love towards us. Thank you for your word. This is foundational uh, truth, doctrine for us uh, as believers. Thank you so much. Uh, your grace triumphs over judgment. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.